This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP, Brought to you by all the kind people that have left a five-star reviews. Kyle, we got another one. It was very nice to see. It uh, it makes getting up at 10 a.m. after a devastating Sixers loss, you know, a little easier. Yeah, and we also got a, uh, I got a really nice email from uh, a professor at Loyola mm. University Chicago saying nice. how much he loved our, our chemistry on the pod. Wow. And, the, you know, we had some big things brewing here. So shout out <laughs> to... Uh, Professor Mark Lester, PhD. Very nice. Listening. I always think with emails, it's like another level. So I think podcast reviews are the nicest way. And then the email is like such an old school, nice way to like go out and yeah. do something nice. Like, like a tweets are nice, obviously, but emails, like you take the time to do that. That's like some, it's a really nice gesture. So I, I appreciate that email. You sent it to me and uh, it was very nice to read. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, the, the good news is, for better or worse, the Sixers are in the spotlight right now. And I think last night especially showed, like, this town, we, we debated this on the last pod, but this town's paying paying attention now. Like, the, the Sixers have all, all the attention on them, even with the Phillies starting up. So, not doing the most of it, Kyle. Uh, last night, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it. Um, I mean, well, obviously we'll get into it, so why we're recording the pod. But do you want to do you want to start? Or do you want me to uh, to kind of say my 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 opinions of it first? You were there actually, so I don't use. Yeah. Well, so to your point, you know, before I <laughs> make fun of some people for their reactions to this game, do it. Do I will it. say I at least feel like to your point that people having emotions about this team is good, right? It means that people are more locked into this team now that a loss to the Celtics still really stings people. Like ultimately to me, that is good in a weird way. Like I don't want people to suffer, but it's like, all right, (laughs) we're starting to get really get into basketball time now. Like the attention has turned to the Sixers and, you know, I think over time, you know, we'll see how this month of March goes. But I, I think over time they're going to see that you know this is a real deal team, and you know my takeaway watching that game last night is going to be a lot different, I think, than many of the fans. I think from you, I yeah. think we're probably going to disagree on this, but I come away from that game thinking exactly what Joel Embiid said first thing he said after the game: "They are right there." You know, that's a game that you played team with the best record in the NBA the team who everyone assumes is going to win the Eastern Conference, who's been on all these deep playoff runs. And, you know, a lot of people are saying today, Joel had this A-plus game, 
Tatum was bad for most of the game. Brown didn't have his best game, had a good second half, and they still lose the game. Like it, yeah. that's the that's the negative, the Negadelphian take. The the flip side of that, the glass half full thing is that two straight games now, you know, in different types of circumstances, they've been able to hold Tatum down, right? Like Tatum hurt them as a playmaker in the previous meeting, but yeah. also wasn't a good scorer in that game. So the fact that they've been able to at least find somewhat of a solution for Jason Tatum where they can bother him, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal in a playoff game. Number two, Boston could not play their starting lineup at the end of this game. They had to completely abandon the Horford-Robert Williams front court because Joel was essentially playing free safety at the rim anytime Williams was on the court with Horford. You know, that changes a lot of things in endgame scenarios because yeah. if Boston doesn't have Robert Williams lurking as a weak side rim protector, that means Joel, if he can win a one-on-one matchup, is going to get a shot at the rim or get fouled on, you know, a, a majority of possessions. And if they double, most of the time last night, he was making the right decisions. I thought was, you know, few issues here and there, but he was a great decision maker for most of the game. And then, you know, I think the other thing, which this is on the more negative side, is like the margin is very thin against this team. Boston's bench is better. Like they are a better overall team than the Sixers. And the responsibility is on their top guys. Joel lived up to his responsibility on Saturday night, I thought. James Harden did not. Tyrese Maxey did not. And if they don't get better performances from Harden and Maxey, they will lose to this team in the playoffs, point blank. And, you know, I I don't know if you're going to agree with this one. There's a lot of people right now who are uh, saying, oh, Doc messed up Tyrese and they need to start him. They ruined yeah, his I definitely confidence want to talk to and all that. that. Yeah. Here's my thing, man. This is not CYO. This is not – these are not guys who we're going to spend the playoffs like we got to build up Tyrese Maxey. Right. It's like – this is what playing on a team with championship expectations is like. I understand, like, very clearly Tyrese is dealing with mental ups and downs, and he's been very open about that. I, I respect the fact that he said, like, look, this has not been the easiest period for me. He has had a lot of inconsistency. But, like, it is not Doc Rivers' fault that Tyrese Maxey can't find it and can't figure it out. This is not a guy – It's it's not like when Isaiah Joe was here, right? And he was maybe playing for five minutes, most of the time less than that. And he's always looking over his shoulder like, oh, I'm going to get yanked if I miss the shot or if I do this wrong. Tyrese is playing 33 minutes a game. He has mm-hmm. more than enough time to go out there, establish himself, be the player that everybody knows he can be. And he hasn't been that guy in a lot of these games that really matter. So, right, so that so- that's on him. I put that on Tyrese and he's got to figure that out. All right, so let's talk about the Maxi thing since I think your, your points are interesting on that. I'm going to push back, though. Like, it's – so I do think with, with Doc, there is always a, a reaction from fans or whatever. Anything goes wrong, it's blame Doc. If they lose the game, it's Doc's fault. Like you always say, he coaches the losses but doesn't coach the wins, right? So I, I do think that blaming Doc is somewhat taking responsibility off of Maxi. But it is Doc's literal job to get the best out of his players. And he has clearly mismanaged the Maxi situation. Like, if I remember correctly, Maxi, like, texted him saying, I'm willing to come off the bench. Like, however much you believe, it went down like that. Regardless. I have my skepticism. Yeah, I have my skepticism, too. And and 
I mean, at the end of the day, Maxi was starting and now he's not. And that's Doc's decision. Doc essentially benched Maxi. So when you talk about Maxi having like and being open about the fact that he's struggling and all those things, Doc holds responsibility for that. Like Doc's the coach. Doc decides who starts and he's the one that's moved Maxi to the bench. Now, we've talked about this at length about the positives of it. And when he comes off the bench and playing well, he's amazing. Like, you know, he could be sixth man of the year with the instant offense he can give. But the ultimate problem with Maxi is this, and it doesn't matter if he's starting, not starting, whatever. He literally is only good at scoring right now. That's it. That, and not even right now, but that's his only like real talent. He's not a great playmaker. He's not a great defensive player, right? He, he's good in transition, but really only just, you know, running at the basket fast, right? Like, so at the end of the day, if his shots aren't going in, and you could say this for a lot of players, but when he's not shooting well, he's useless out there because he can't do anything else and he's extremely small. So when I look at Maxi and, you know, especially last night, like if you look at, at last night, Embiid was obviously amazing. Now he did have an extremely sloppy turnover in a really bad spot. Like that did happen, right? That was a bad turnover where he just had it swiped out of his hands. But Maxi was the reason they lost that game, especially when you look at the fact that not the plus minus is the best stat you know, for a one game sample size, but a lot of the Celtic starters were in the negative. A lot of the Sixers starters were in the positives. And it was maxi that I think finished like minus 20 or something like that. And it comes back to the ultimate problem that this team has. And I like uh, the, we'll get into the, how close I think they are to the Celtics, but the ultimate problem they have right now is a core member of their team. Like the third best player on their team, maxi is just not really ready for big playoff moments. I know he's had big playoff games. He's had playoff experience. But ultimately, you see that with how Maxi is playing, he is almost unplayable in the playoffs. And that's a major problem heading in to not just this final stretch, which is essentially a playoff run And when you think about seeding and everything, but it's going to be a big problem in the postseason. And I do blame Doc for that to an extent of like taking Maxi, who entered this season, on such a high coming off a great year. I was super high on Maxi coming into the year and Maxi holds blame for it. You're right. It's not a rec league. It's a professional league. He's talked about how he sees the benefits from coming off the bench, but it's doc's job to get the best out of his young players. And he has botched that situation with Maxi. So I agree that it's doc's job to get the best out of his players, but you know, I, I think to talk about the bench some more, cause that was obviously a huge storyline in yeah. Saturday night's game. I think just looking at the plus minus of a bunch of bench guys and being like, well, the bench sucks is a really reductive way of looking at how that game played out. Right. Because, you know, on a night where doc is running out an all bench lineup and just saying Tyrese figure it out. And, and that's mm -hmm. all they do. Like that's an example of when the coach is letting Tyrese and the team down. Right. When he says, Hey, shake and Tyrese, you basically have to carry, uh, the, all the creation burden for George Niang, Paul Reed, and Jalen McDaniels. Like, that's not fair to Tyrese. Right. But James Harden is out there with him last yeah. night. Every minute that Tyrese was on the floor was spent with either James Harden or Joel Embiid out there. They're wow. not leaving this kid on the vine to die. They're giving him a chance. They're playing him with some of their best players, and he hasn't been good enough. Like, they played small ball in both halves last night. I, we'll get to the doc side of the small ball stuff in a second i want to mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit but they're in small ball which essentially the reason you would play it on offense is so that james and tyrese can attack guys one-on-one -on -one and win those matchups right i have much more confidence that james can do that because james is just a better offensive player than tyrese he has more ways to score and more ways to impact the game yeah. when he's in a one-on-one -on -one battle with somebody you saw tyrese last night in some one-on-one -on -one matchups with a, a spread floor 
nobody really waiting at the rim could not get by Derek white. And he's settling for like a, a 10 foot runner that never really had a chance to go in. Mm-hmm. Like that's a problem. And Joel Embiid said after the game, he had a conversation with Tyrese in the locker room asking him, you know, what can I do to help you be better? And, you know, after the game, the they road. had this conversation. After, yes. Okay. Joel, after the loss went up to Tyrese and okay. has this conversation with him and told us that he said to Tyrese, like, look, man, teams watch film. They know what you want to do and they know what spots you want to get to. And that's he, Joel has obviously gone through that. His offensive game honestly showed the best understanding he's ever shown against the Celtics of, He's just going to go quick all the time. He's not allowing them to get into doubles. And when they did send doubles, the ball was out of there and on the other side of the floor most of the time. Most mm-hmm. of the time. Obviously, few few hiccups here and there. But Tyrese, you know, he doesn't have as much in his bag yet, obviously. And so if guys are stopping him from getting where he wants to go, he settles for a lot of these tough shots and bad plays and what have you. And Joel's message to him is, look, we need you to be aggressive regardless. I don't I don't care if you shoot, you know, four for 20, but they, they need him out there and being the Tyrese that we've come to know and respect. So I think it's important that, that these guys have still expressed belief in him, that they're in his ear. Like, look, you're going to go through some bad games that Joel is leading in the locker room in this way to try to make sure Tyrese is you know, not falling out of the boat here mm-hmm. down the stretch. Well, first, let me say, we talk a lot on this pod about Joel and like effort and leadership and that type of stuff. I think that's an extremely commendable thing, what he did and shouldn't just be overlooked. Like to go up to Tyrese and do that, I think is is awesome. That's a really good sign of leadership from, from Joel. Let me ask you as someone that's around Tyrese, do you notice a difference in him? Just, you know, I, I know with the Eagles when I'm around, like, and, and they're having two or three games in a row, like you, get, you can kind of sense if a player is just feeling out of it or he doesn't really want to talk to the media because he knows he's struggling. Do you sense around Tyrese that, it, it, like, is he mentally there right now? Not mentally, maybe not the right word, but can you tell that he knows he's going through something? And and really, at the end of the day, why do you think he is struggling so much? Is it just that his shot's going in? Is it because I mean, he's been coming off the bench for a while? This isn't a week-long role that he's been in. I mean, it's been— And he's had good games. Like, like, yeah, they, he's, he's had, had good, good stretches. That's right. the thing. So um, like, what's your impression you're getting being around him? It's hard to tell because, and especially last night, the game was so late and ended so late that by the time the game's over, anyone who's not talking to the media or going to the podium is getting out of there as quick as they can. It's like, I want to get the hell home after that game. So we didn't get to talk to Tyrese last night or really get a a beat on him. I mean, by and large... Who talks after most most games? uh, I mean, he's just... I mean, this is no disrespect to him, but he's just a lower priority on a lot yeah, of no, for than, sure. Yeah. You know, the Joels and the Jameses. Of yeah, the and world. Doc and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and the head coach, obviously. Um, so yeah, like I haven't noticed it necessarily, but it's also hard because again, he's lower in the pecking order and mm-hmm. you know, that that can fall through the cracks a little bit. I think the the big problem is he hasn't shot that well. I, I think yeah. since he I just looked it up this morning for an article that's coming out soon. Tyrese is shooting across January and February. It's about 24, 25 games, 34.8% from three. Wow. When that's the case, and he's only a slightly below average shooter from deep, it makes everything else really hard. If yeah. the teams can sag off him even a little bit, most of the defenders who are matched up with him are bigger and stronger than him. Like that's just the reality of his life. 
And so mm-hmm. if he can't make them respect him enough as a shooter that they're right up in his chest and he can use that speed to get by them, then when he's getting toward the paint and toward the rim, he's in a bad situation because the bigger defender is still there between him and he's having to shoot these tough, you know, off glass shots, runners, floaters, whatever it is, rather than getting all the way to the rim, scoring on a layup, getting fouled, whatever it is, he's he's leaving himself in no man's land. It's why you see a couple of his baskets last night are just, he outran people in transition. Like they were right. not, oh, wow, he beat somebody or broke somebody down off the dribble. This is just Tyrese got there before the defense was set. And that stuff's important, right? Like transition basketball and him adding pace to the game is a big deal. But ultimately, like the case for people wanting him to start or play over Melton, for example, is a lot about, all right, he offers dynamism in a way that Melton does not in the half court. It's a guy who, you know, coming off a cut is exploding yeah, towards the fast, rim yeah. or, or all that stuff. We're not really seeing that because the way teams are setting up against him is preventing him from getting downhill and doing that kind of stuff. I think the way you can tell Tyrese is in a, a bad funk or in a, the midst of a bad game is he just ends up going east-west way too much. It's a lot of sideways dribbling. He can't turn the corner. He pulls it back. He resets the offense. He's wasted, you know, six to eight seconds trying to get something going. And then you end up in a late clock situation where it's basically him or James have to beat somebody off the dribble or you're not scoring. And that's just not the situation you want to be in. So what can they do about it? Because look, again, we had pods where we talked and said, he's awesome off the bench. This is good for the team, blah, blah, blah. But it's very apparent, especially in last night, because, you know, it's great when he comes off the bench against some scrub team and does well. The Celtics are probably who they're going to play in the second round, them or the Bucks. So it was a very real look at what you're going to have to get out of Maxi. You're going to have to get more out of Maxi. Do you think they should put him into the starting lineup and just end this? Or do you think at this point it doesn't matter if he starts or not? He's just in a funk and he's just going to have to shoot his way out of it. I mean, so here's my thing. I. I know the defensive numbers have not been as good with the Melton lineup lately, but I really do find it hard to say the Sixers have been the best team in the league since December 5th, and they should change what they're doing and how they're set up. Like, ultimately, like Tyrese Maxey is a really, really important long term piece for this team, right? One of the most important guys that they have, assuming that he's still on the roster and they don't make a trade because he's obviously like the, their most attractive trade chip if they they want a big shake up in the offseason but assuming he's on the roster he's really important that still is not as important as the fact that they have a chance to win a title this year like they they absolutely this is the first time i feel like i've ever felt watching them in the regular season that's like they can play with anybody and honestly if you look at the landscape of the league whoever comes out of the east is probably winning the title like yeah, I would take I, mean, I would take I would take any of the top three East teams over any team in the Western. You would pick the like, Sixers to like beat the Suns straight up. You'd pick them to beat the Suns. I mean, the Suns have to get there. First of all, yeah, we well, even, well, yeah for sure. We haven't but even have... seen what they look like with Kevin Durant. Like, fair, so, that's fair. I mean, I would definitely look, pick them over the Nuggets. I agree with you on that. So look, it's really the Sixers added James Harden last season. And I know yeah. James Harden last season is not close to Durant right now or what Durant was at the beginning of the season. But we saw firsthand James Hart integrating a piece like James Harden mid season is really hard. Yeah. Really hard. When exactly. when your whole identity essentially shifts around the guy you're acquiring in the middle of the year, there are not a lot of examples of trades like that 
you know, leading to a title right away. Like, yes, obviously teams like Dallas with Kyrie and Luca teams like Phoenix with Kevin Durant, Booker and Chris Paul, very good teams. And, you know, Denver is still the number one seed in the West. So you got to respect them. Jokic is having a great season, whatever. I just think the East teams are better. I think they're better overall teams than any of those teams. They have less question marks to answer. So I would take them in that and that sort of thing. But anyway, so back to the point. Right. Tyrese has to meet the moment more than the Sixers need to say, you know, we have to shove aside the fact that we've been the best team in the league for three months, basically. And because we got to get Tyrese going. Like, exactly. That's just that's that's life. That's what it means to be a title contender. Guys are going to get pushed to the to the side. The Anthony Melton got benched essentially last year in the playoffs because he wasn't good enough. Like these things are going to happen. So I I mean, so we'll see how it all plays out. I think that's fair. My my thought from last night though is I don't leave that game thinking, man, they're right there. They can beat the Celtics. I leave that game thinking they are not going to beat the Celtics in a seven game series. And it isn't because the Celtics are way better. It isn't because the Sixers don't have enough talent. They just can't beat the Celtics. They can't. They're 0-3 <laughs> against them this year. They lost. Uh, they were 2-2, two and two, I think, against them last year. They always lose to them in the playoffs. And I know it's different rosters now, whatever. But ultimately, I look at the two teams as this. I think if you want to call the Celtics a 10, the Sixers are probably an 8 and a half or a 9. But I think if it's not Harden having a bad game, it'll be something else. I just look at when these two teams play, and I think it's almost impossible like it's almost impossible for the Sixers to beat them four times in seven games. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. And I'm not saying each game might be really close. Like it was last night. I mean, they were up double digits in the third quarter. What, you know, they, they have shown they can play with this team, but do, do either of us really think in a seven game series, they're going to beat them four times. I, that's the tough part for me is I think the Sixers are awesome. I think they're super talented. They're playing great. Like all those things. I just don't think there's any way they beat the Celtics four times in seven games. I think they'd have a better chance against the Bucs. The Celtics just seem to have their number for some reason. Well, look, I agree with you in the sense that if I were to pick the series right now, let's, let's say it's the conference finals, yeah. it's yep. Sixers Celtics, I would pick Boston. They they deserve the respect as the team who has done it more consistently in the playoffs, who is, has been better than the Sixers in these across these matchups in the regular season. They have earned that right to be treated as the favorite in the East. My point is, is less that like they're going to beat them. than look, they can play with them. This is not a, oh my God, Boston is totally outclassing them. The Sixers starters beat the shit out yeah, of Boston so starters. They can play game. with them, but they can't beat them. And that's a big distinction. You know, so, I Ali, agree. You brought, up, you brought but, up the fact that they gave up a 15-point lead or a double-digit lead, which is, again, it it's, an, yeah. it's an important thing. The Sixers were also down 10 points with six minutes left and tied the game. They, yeah. they came back in a moment that, you know, in years past, the, the Celtics hit a back-breaking shot at some point in that run, and the Sixers just give in, right? They give up. Joel kicked Boston's ass down the stretch of that game on offense was the best. And honestly, that might be the biggest takeaway that we've buried until 22 minutes into the podcast. (laughs) The Celtics are the best team in the league. Jason Tatum is an MVP candidate and he was not in the same stratosphere as Joel Embiid in that game last night. Joel Joel was the the best player on that floor by such a a comfortable margin that like you would not have even known that Tatum is going to be a first team all NBA type guy. We didn't even bring it up, but so I was watching a game at a bar last night and 
when he hit that shot from full court or whatever it was, I mean, the place went absolutely insane. I mean, the, like he was unbelievable. I knew it wasn't. I knew it was after the <laughs> he buzzer did and so did he, all of that. He, he, he knew right away. Like there wasn't even a second of like, look at it. He just walked right off the court. But it is unbelievable he hit that shot. And that was like, yeah, oh. but but so look, I, I think the one thing that I think people are missing, if you're saying, you know, this might be different than years past. Joel has had a ton of big performances and big moments against really good teams this year. I think you could have made the argument in years past that like, yeah, there are a ton of great stat games and, you know, he obviously beats up all the the bad teams, but certain teams and certain matchups, they just have this number. I don't think that's the case anymore. Joel beat up Al Horford for four quarters. Like Al had absolutely nothing for him. Joel, that was like the easiest 40 that Joel has ever scored in his life. And so also kicks Jokic's ass in that matchup. Has nothing on offense against Memphis two nights prior and still controlled that game because he's the best defensive player on the floor. Like, I think you are seeing Joel Embiid get to a level that he simply was not at before. And we've talked about it a thousand times. The thing that matters in the playoffs it's not really the head coach. It's not really the bench. It's not the star, really all this yeah. little stuff. It's are your stars good enough? And I think Joel Embiid is good enough to be a title-winning star at this point. Whether he gets the supporting cast assistance that he needs to try to win a title, I don't know. But I do think that he is reaching that level that he needs to be at individually to go out and get one. So I, I agree with that. He he was obviously amazing last night. And I think you can make the argument he's been like by and far the best player in the league for a little bit of stretch. I'm a stretch. Like he's playing unbelievable, right? But they still lost. So I, I agree with you that he's out, he's playing amazing. Like he's a bet he can be the best player on a title team, I guess. I mean, with the way he's playing, he certainly can be. We'll see if he can do it come playoff time. But I agree with you on all that. But despite all that, they still lost. And so that's why I can't leave that game being like, Oh, they, they have a real chance against the Celtics because although it maybe is putting it in, in simple terms and, you know, we'll, we'll, we're diving into it more than that, but it, it might be as simple as Embiid was unbelievable. The Celtics didn't even play that great. Tatum didn't play that great. And at the end of the game, the Celtics made plays like the tip in that Tatum got um, on the offensive rebound. That's something we've talked about all year. Rebounding is an issue, right? Embiid was unbelievable. The turnover did happen. It was a sloppy turnover in a bad spot. And Tatum, for as bad as he was, you just mentioned it, Star players are what decides games in the playoffs. And he was not good last night. He did hit that three to tie the game. I, I sure. like, so, so at the end of, at the end of the day, I agree. I think if the, if the Sixers play the Celtics in the playoffs, Embiid could average, you know, 35, 12, and, and four blocks and be unbelievable. I just don't have faith that they're going to be the team that makes the big plays at the end of the game. And I and I and it does seem the Celtics are always the team that makes those plays. So you're right that they can play with them. I just don't think they can beat them because the same flaws that we've seen cost the Sixers games in the past, especially against the Celtics, were once again on display last night in in the crucial moments. Like, again, the things we talk about most on this pod, the effort was good last night. So take that out of it. But the rebounding, right, Embiid's turnovers, and then big stars and big moments. The Celtics checked those three boxes, and that's why they won. Well, so I just, again, I'm not disagreeing with all that. I just think that, there is a middle ground between, oh, the Sixers can are going to win the title or whatever, and they have no chance against any. And, like, I wish people could. Well, of course they have I a know chance. It's, 
But let me ask. I know you it's that. hard for fans, like to for them to have lost three in a row to Boston this year, and it's like a, another year of the same stuff. And Tatum hits a game winner, but I, I just I wish people could actually try to enjoy this team even a little bit. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, like, but let me let me ask you this. All right, so you we would both pick the Celtics to beat the Sixers in the playoffs, right? But for me, I think the Sixers would have maybe a 15 to 20% chance of winning that series. What percentage would you give them of beating the Celtics? I would go as high as like 35 to 40, honestly. Okay, like so you're, I, more, I, you're closer to 50-50. Yeah, so look, again, Boston is a better and deeper team. That just straight up. and Can't get around that fact. They have more ways to win. They can ship matchups better than the Sixers can. But... Again, the big takeaway for me is that the starters far outplayed Boston starters in that game to a degree that Boston could not play all their starters in crunch time. They had to, like, I know, like, there's one Joel turnover in the fourth quarter, and that was basically the only mistake he made. Like, that he is able to play free safety on defense when Robert Williams is in the game. And that jumped up a lot of things. Like, there's a forgotten play that I actually, on the rewatch this morning, was even more impressive than it looked in real time. Joel sort of lingering in the paint. Jalen Brown drives. He blocks Jalen Brown. Oh, yeah, yeah. And before falling out of bounds, he somehow has the footwork to stay in bounds and the hand-eye to tip the ball back in. And they go on a fast break and Maxi scores. And it's just like, that's what makes Joel special. It's not like, obviously he can score with the best of anyone in the league. Yeah. But the fact that he also does that and can be by far the best defensive player in the game is just incredible. Like, yeah, that guy is going to give them a chance to win. I like, I don't think people are, have realized yet, or I guess they haven't because of how people talk about the team. He is at a different level. Like this is the best season he has ever had. And it's a big step up. He's so, much I better than he was in past years. I, I I agree with that. And so recently I tweeted out like the top 10 athletes in Philly and I put Embiid third. And last night was a strong argument for everyone that tweeted at me saying I was insane not to have him number one. I mean, he is playing at an unbelievable level. But again, you said it with Tyrese, Tyrese Maxey, where it's, you know, it's not a CYO league or whatever. The last time they played the Celtics, the Celtics didn't have any of their guys in Boston and they lost, right? Then last night, their guys don't play that well, the, the Celtics guys, and they lost. So you're right that ultimately the, the Sixers dominated their starters last night and Embiid was unbelievable, but it's not a CYO league and, it, and it's just tiresome to and come And you do out. have to win. I get and it. Like, I, I can saying. sit here yeah. and say, Joel was so good. They did a lot of things that bothered Boston and maybe you sustained that in the playoffs. If Maxi plays better, if Harden plays better, but it's if, 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 like, exactly. I, I get it. Yeah. And that's why, like, I think there's, I think people should not just throw this team out. Right. But I do get fans who are frustrated who are saying, why can't they beat those guys? Why is it always, you know, Boston is the team that just kills us when it matters. It doesn't matter who the coach is. doesn't matter how good Joel is, the supporting cast, whatever they, and that's honestly, like, I hate to say this, but this has been the case historically too, right? People mm-hmm. love to talk about this great Sixers Celtics rivalry. Historically, it is not even close. Yeah. Like the Bill Russell versus Wilt thing. I brought it up on the podcast. Wilt is so much better than Bill Russell in terms of the numbers and all that stuff. 
Boston beat them basically every year in the playoffs. In the 80s, the Sixers were one of the three best teams in the league. Unfortunately, most of the time they were the second best team in the East because Boston was just better and better when it counted. So look, this is how it's gone. And so I think some of this is also the historical residue. It's like the Sixers can never beat the Celtics. The Celtics are always that cut above whoever the Sixers have. And even when the Sixers had their moments in the sun, like the two Sixers title teams with Wilt and and Dr. J and Moses, the one in 67, the one in 83, those two are both considered two of the best individual teams of all time. And in spite of that, those are like the only titles they were able to win because they kept running into Boston over and over and over and over again. And so that's my thing too, where – you were right that people should enjoy the team. And I will say being at the bar watching the game, it was awesome seeing so many people excited about the team. And it was just like a great atmosphere. It was a great game. All those things are true. But I think what sucks specifically for the uh, the Sixers is I would probably pick them to beat almost every other team in the league in a series. With the Bucks, we could debate. I, you know, the Suns, you're right. But ultimately, if you're telling me they're going into a series with Durant, Devin Booker, like I would have some hesitation about that. But outside yeah. of that, I would give them a 60% chance to win or the 65, 70% chance to win a series against every other team. The problem is this team's biggest issue is getting out the second round and they're going to run into the one team that I don't think they really have a chance to beat. So while you can enjoy it, it is, it's, it's almost like enjoying the ride while watching the train, like come at you. Like you, you know where this is going to end is the feeling, but let me ask you this. Cause you're way better at the bas- basketball, like X's and O's and stuff than, than I am uh, by far. But so how like when you watch these two when you watch these two teams playing specifically last night if the Sixers are going to beat the Celtics right we titled this will the Sixers ever beat the Celtics again if they're going to beat them how do they do it like wh- what are the things you know put yourself in in Doc's shoes for a second or are there things that you see are there things that you know they have to do better is it or is it just as simple as hope that in the final five minutes the plays go their way as opposed to consistently going the Celtics way well so. You take the low-hanging fruit first, right? They need to work on the overhelping off of shooters. That was a huge problem last night. Part of why Al Horford got some just like practice shot threes in the second half. Jason Tatum, Grant Williams, all like in both halves, there were guys who got open threes for basically no reason. That mm-hmm. they don't need to send doubles all the time. And frankly, we saw this in the last matchup when Tatum essentially played just as poorly as he did last night, but was rewarded as a playmaker because all the attention on him, they got to stop overplaying him. If Jason Tatum goes out and scores 45 points and beats you, I would rather live with that than giving a good shooting team with lots of guys who can punish you open shot after open shot from the perimeter. So that's on everybody. Like I think Joel did a bad job of closing out on Al at times. I think as the game went on, they started to switch those actions more, which is the easy way to get around that. You don't have to ask Joel to close out on the three-point line all the time. Just Mm -hmm. whoever else is in the action, put him on him. And I think that's probably something they're more willing to do in the playoffs where they don't want to have Joel switching for 30 or 40 minutes that he played last night. They might do that in the playoffs or they'll at least do it situationally. So that's an easy one. Uh, the bench rotation. So I, I brought up Doc earlier. We haven't really talked about him yet. I think the one thing I would really get on Doc for last night, and you know, he claimed it was because PJ needed a rest 
uh, to start the fourth quarter last night is that he tried to go to Paul Reed in the first half at backup center. Clearly was not fit for this game. Like did not yeah. play well. This is a little bit, the stage is too big for him. And that's, that's bad that it's too big for him in a regular season game, let alone a uh, yeah, playoff game. Backup center. Although it seems like Dwayne Dedman doesn't exist. And it's, 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 oh, he's hurt. So you know, they <laughs> well, signed a guy who. Is, he, is Montres Harrell even with the team? Well, he is definitely not built for this matchup. Yeah, he well, was like, there is, last he's night. on the bench. Like, is, is when's the last time he played? Did he get in last night and I miss it? Or no? Well, so actually, fun anecdote uh, from the locker room last night. Trez was blasting music after the game, and really surreal moment where he played a future and Kodak Black song that actually name drops James Harden in it. And I was really, like, that that's is pretty funny. surreal <laughs> that like your teammate is in this song. Like, I yeah, can only imagine what it'd be like to hear like a friend of he, yours name and a, a rap song. Yeah. He's um, like literally so right there. Yeah. He's like right there while you're rapping the lyric along. Yeah. So anyway, so Paul Reed didn't work. Doc goes to PJ at the five that stabilized things in the first half. Then in the second half, Doc went to Paul Reed again. And it was, you know, he says, well, PJ needed a blow. I wanted to go to talk and we needed the, the veteran experience right. and all that out there. But like that 70 seconds or whatever that Paul Reed played, Boston scored a few baskets. And that, again, in a three-point game, your margin is slim enough against yeah. the Celtics team that you cannot afford to put lineups on the floor that can't hack it. I also am a little concerned about the fact that George Niang basically can't play in this matchup. Like it was one of the reasons I was skeptical of going after somebody like Kevin Love because he has all the same problems. Granted, George is probably going to shoot better than he did in this game. But if he doesn't shoot, he's got no role on this team in the playoffs because Mm -hmm. they cannot play a lineup with James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, and Niang and have any chance to defend. So you have to go out there and outscore teams with that group. They have not proven capable of doing so. So they're going to have to find some other lineups here. Like I almost would experiment with sitting George entirely for a few games and maybe try to play a more athletic bench around those guys and see Mm. what happens because they got to work on some other wrinkles. Cause if you get to the playoffs and it's just, you know, George goes 0 for 4 yeah, and they get torched yeah. while he's on the floor. And then they have no backup plan behind that other than, okay, Tobias, go back in there. Like, I don't think that's good. I think they need to figure out. Well, it's like, there. it's like Maxi. Like, you know, if, if, he's, if he's not hitting a shot, he brings nothing else to the, to the floor, like to the team. So in the same thing with Niang, if he's not hitting his shots. And I do think that's a problem. We've talked about this on Pos past pods too there was a stretch where i felt really good about the role players on this team i'm starting not to feel as good about the fact that they don't have a ton of guys that in a playoff series you feel good about putting out on the court um another thing i wanted to talk about off last night uh so watching it live i didn't think harden played that poorly i know he shot poorly but he had nine points i think in the fourth quarter he hit some big free throws i actually thought at first when he got fouled that that was a three and not a two but i guess his his foot must have been on the line there was also a play earlier where i thought horford hit a three well he did hit a three and his foot was on the line they didn't review that so to your point about the margins being very thin i thought that they should have gotten a point there or had a point taken off but i saw in your post game article that you weren't super impressed with how harden played just curious, what did you see from him? Was it just poor shooting or was it stuff outside of that? I mean, poor shooting. I didn't like that 
it didn't seem that he was getting downhill enough. And that showed up again when I, I'm a psycho and rewatched a lot of the game. I'm impressed afterward. by that. Man. 10 a.m. in the morning. Listen, <laughs> yeah. Well, it was less, there, it was less 10 a.m. this morning. It was more at 2 a.m. Well, that's what I'm night. saying. Yeah. 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 Um, and actually on the broadcast, I think Van Gundy and Mark Jackson both remarked on it. Like you can see the difference between when James is making it a point to try to get downhill and put pressure that's when Joel was getting some of his easiest shots of the night, those free throw line jumpers that he's lived off of right. all season. So there was a lot of, a lot of settling for James. I get that he's had a great shooting year. So it's easy to say, well, he was settling because he missed them. Most of the year mm-hmm. he's been making those step back jumpers and, and mid range jumpers and what have you. And he had some shots go in and out last night. I just didn't love his decision-making. I thought his, his passing, was nowhere near as good as it normally is. He had some sloppy plays. One, he just threw out of bounds in the first half. Yep. He threw a behind-the-back pass to Joel in the, I think it was the fourth quarter, that should have been a steal, but Tatum somehow couldn't corral the ball. It ends up going out of bounds, and so that kind of salvaged the yeah. uh, the possession. But just a lot of weird. And look, I think part of it is because that sort of game reminds you of, oh, yeah, James Harden's playoff history is not as good as you would like it to be. And so you start to extrapolate it a little bit like, oh, is this the guy they're getting in game five in a must-win yeah. game in the playoffs? And so that well, makes you worry a little bit. And so, But mostly I focused in on him in the recap and in the story that I wrote this morning because I think it's always unfair to be like, Backup center is why they lost that game, right? Like yeah, when when it was Dwight Howard in 2021, they lose to the Hawks. The focus is on, oh my God, the bench lineups suck and all that. It's like, no, really the problem is Ben Simmons blows in the playoffs <laughs> and you can't play him with a backup center who, quite frankly, Dwight Howard way overachieved that season. Uh, I completely what the expectations were. <laughs> I completely but a, like It was yeah. always like, well, these lineups don't work and they're getting scored on and whatever. It's like, yeah, because the star player who's on a max contract wasn't good enough. Like, I'm yeah. always going to put more responsibility on the fact that the star was not good enough. Like, you can, we can sit here and say, yeah, Jalen McDaniels was just okay last night. George Niang sucked. Paul Reed sucked. Tyrese Maxey, who again, people, I think that's the other thing. People don't look at him as a bench player. He doesn't get lumped in with, like, oh, the bench was bad by a lot of yeah. fans because people love him. But he's the captain of the bench and was bad. Like that's yeah, you can't and, get around and that. To your point about, and I hundred percent agree with you. This is why you know when to past playoff performances and series they've lost. I'm always like, yeah, well, Embiid was super bad in the second half of that game, and they lose. Like I agree with you. It's always the stars to me. I think Maxi. I don't think he is a star yet. But let's be real. He's going to be a max player soon. So he is also somebody that I think you look and you go, they lost because Maxi didn't like, I think he's in that group. You're right that he's captain of the bench, but what he really is, is a top three player on the team that has to play well for them to win. But yeah. to, to Harden's to, to last thing on Harden, do you think that his struggles were caused by the Celtics or do you think they were self-inflicted by him? Because there's a big difference there, right? If, it, if it's a tough matchup with the Celtics, then that's a concern. But if it's he was just out of it, it's concerning as well because, to your point, his playoff performances, especially with the Sixers, have not been great. And last night, you were there, but felt like a playoff game, right? So it's not great to see him struggle. But do you think that his struggles were because of him just you know, not showing up? 
or do you think the Celtics are a tough matchup for him? I think it's some of both. I mean, first game of the year, he had that was like the James Harden is back moment, right? After an off season of yeah. he's getting his legs under him, all that. So it's not like he's incapable of having a good game against this Celtics team specifically. And I did think when he made it a point to try to attack them off the dribble, he did have some good moments. There was actually one of the one of the funniest plays of the game. He smoked Tatum, who was on an island in the first half, gets by him and shot maybe the worst layup attempt I've ever seen from James <laughs> Harden. Like, was on the right side shooting a layup, shot it past the rim off the backboard, and it yeah. looked like – at first it looked like it got blocked and then the replay comes up. It's like, Oh no, he was just expecting somebody to get there that never got there and completely right. smoked it. So, you know, that's a play I would say nine times out of 10, James is making an easy layup there. And that just, you can write that off as a fluke, but you know, then in crunch time in the fourth quarter last night, he had a, a big bucket or two where he just beat somebody off the dribble and, you know, helped Joel Embiid get them close at the end of the game. So I don't, it's probably not as bad as I thought it was in real time. But to the point about the margins, the defensive stuff with him, it's like, I thought James, by and large, was playing hard last night, right? Like, I think there are a lot yeah, of examples of him. After it he, made some, he made some plays in transition transition and, and different things. But just like Joel with the, the sagging off of Horford and some of the issues with uh, just lacking focus on a play-to-play basis – there are some issues with James overhelping off of a shooter and straying away and having you know tunnel vision on the ball that against Boston, you don't have the luxury to make a ton of errors like that or they're going to bury you. So yeah, I, I think it, it just goes back to the same thing, that if they want to beat this team, they, they don't have to be perfect, but they have to be closer to perfect than they were last night. So one issue, obviously, at the end of the game, Tatum hits the game-winning shot. I think there was only what? maybe like a half a second and a half 1.3 I think was on the clock so they don't have a timeout so they can't advance the ball um curious what you thought of doc last night uh obviously I agree with you at the end of the day like ultimately stars win and lose games there'll be very very few games if any where we do a post game pod and I come on here and blame doc for the loss but just curious what you think of him last night and the fact they didn't have that timeout just obviously fans are always gonna blame him but but what'd you think of how he coached last night well, so I, I thought he was fine by and large, but again, it all circles back to they don't have many errors they can make against this team because they are just simply not the better or more talented team. Yeah. Top to bottom. I, I actually think so, the talent is very close for what it's worth. I don't think the Celtics are considerably more talented. Well, I think the top end, Joel's the best player in the series, which that I yeah, weigh I more heavily than like, you know, Malcolm Brogdon is better than right, whoever yeah. on the Sixers bench. So I mean, no, you that could argue they have two of the best three players. Like if Harden's playing his best, I think he's better than Jalen Brown. It's close, but you could argue they have two of the best three players. Yeah, I mean, look, that's we can go back and forth about Brown having actual defensive value or yeah, that's Harden true. not. But you know, I don't but, care about defense. Well, yeah, I mean, again, like it's not a crazy argument when Harden is at his best. Like he's very good. So yeah. Um, but on the doc thing, again, circling back to the the Tucker and Reed stuff, like that's an example of, look, I, I appreciate the fact that these last couple of games, Doc is staggering his stars. That's something that I've wanted him to do always that he has saved for these games that really matter down the stretch, I guess. But that's a sign of, of that's positive progress. That's something that mm-hmm. 
they've always needed to do that he's been reluctant to do regardless of who he had on the team. So that's good. But the Paul Reed, PJ Tucker thing is bad. Uh, playing George Niang at all in the second half, probably bad. But again, they, they're going to have to figure out a, uh, a counter to that. I thought the the timeouts that he used, the reason he didn't have any left is because he called a timeout to get them the shot to tie the game. Well, it sure. ends up being the free throws to tie the game. So if you don't make that shot or score on that possession, it doesn't really matter in the first place. Yeah, the game's over. So, and they also had to use a lot of timeouts to, you know, the Celtics are on runs in the fourth quarter in the second half. And you got to make sure it doesn't turn into, you know, a, a runaway yeah. freight train that you lose the game. So, instead of 10. Yeah. So look, I don't think that he was a actively positive force in that game. He didn't do anything to really change the stakes of it. But I think anyone yelling that like Doc was the problem or Doc's the reason they lost is somebody who has an agenda to push, who's just making these conclusions based on uh, the so, history. I, I woke up this morning and was looking at the box score, and I couldn't believe my eyes that PJ Tucker had 16 rebounds. <laughs> like, like he was pj was we haven't even like he was yeah, really good that's what i was gonna say I, I do think one positive for pj is for sure that i think when they've played the games like the nuggets the bucks the celtics he's been good i mean there, yeah. there's no denying that he has been good in the good games and i think as a veteran he might it might just be he knows for those big games he has to play his best but when they're playing the magic on a tuesday night he's like, whatever. Right. Which is funny. Cause his whole thing is supposed to be, he's got that dog in him, whatever, but he did play really well last night. So I thought that was an encouraging sign when you talk about a matchup of these two teams. So Rich Hoffman brought this up. He, we sit next to each other at the games and we were talking about PJ in the middle of the game. And I guess he, PJ made an appearance on, you know, that show, the shop on HBO. It's like the yeah. LeBron. Yep. I guess PJ was on there and he essentially said, I'm just, I'm paraphrasing somebody else paraphrasing. So bear right. with me. But yeah. PJ essentially said his least favorite games are playing like Oklahoma City on a Tuesday night. <laughs> and it's like, so look, yes, I, I understand you come into the season thinking oh, PJ's the culture guy, that he's yeah. going to help them on defense and all this stuff. But he's also 37 years old. He only has so much juice in those legs, and he knows he's got to save that for – the games that actually matter. I think it's really yeah. important that in these types of games, all of these games are when you've been like, man, PJ was awesome. And PJ is making effort plays. And that first half, there were three or four offensive rebounds that were like the exact plays he made in the Miami series last year, where it, when he made them for the heat, it was all the, Oh my God, like all the groans <laughs> around the arena. So seeing him do that in these games, seeing him yeah. defend, Nikola Jokic and changing that matchup in the second half of the Denver game, him looking good against Memphis. Like these are all things that you start, they pile up, they pile up, they pile up and you say, okay, he's not done. And this is a guy who might end up not going to swing a playoff series by himself, but he changes what their playoff ceiling looks like. If he's, you know, PJ Tucker, who we've always thought he was. Yeah, and I think, again, to circle back to, like, the my overall thought on the game, the P.J. playing well is just – it's it's awesome, but then it also brings me back to the frustration of, God, man, like, P.J. played well. Embiid was awesome. You know, they, they had it. They were up 13, and they still lost. I actually think there's 
I don't think they'll get the one seed. We talked about heading into the game. They essentially have to outplay them by five games now with what, like 20 something games to go, 24, yeah, I, I think that that ship has sailed now mostly. But I think there's like a better chance they get the one than there is they beat them in a playoff series. It just, <laughs> it just sucks so bad. Like they, they had it, they had it and they blew it. Um, any other thoughts you have on the game that we haven't, we haven't touched on? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to london to see taylor swift at the eras tour it's tay in the uk hey it's taylor just download the free odyssey app log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry and you could win a chance to fly off to london with three friends and see taylor i can't wait to see you at the eras tour in london for more go to odyssey.com slash taylor tay in the uk on the odyssey app thanks to republic records this is a national contest uh no i mean look i again somehow have turned into mr positive about all this stuff which is which is fine and i think your point (laughs) about enjoying the season is correct and i i appreciate you preaching that but i do think after last night like come on like they they have to win that game you're up double digits in the third at home against a rival with playoffs like you you got also down double digits in the fourth and came back so yeah and lost and lost so it did i but again (laughs) what i'm saying is there is a different level of fortitude with this team and i I think there is 
Recently, and again, again, 29 other teams, I think they would win, but there's just something about the Celtics. Recently, I have started to feel better about Joel is going to be able to see them through some of these tough moments. That's, like, that's important. He is simply going to be able to do that. That I, I did not have that confidence in the past. Like straight up, yeah. like I, I have been one of Joel's biggest public boosters in terms of what he brings to the floor, mm-hmm. his impact as a two-way guy. But there has been fair criticism of the fact that he has not been able to raise his game when it matters. And I think seeing him go out there at the end of that game and basically say, like, we might lose, but it's not going to be because of me. Like, that is that's a huge step that he can be good enough to say that, that Boston had no answer for him when it mattered. Yeah, that, that's a huge deal. So I, I do agree with that. It does seem like there's something different about him this year. And I think, again, last night he was unbelievable. He's been great. I, I'm trying to think how many games like that have been big games where he hasn't played well this year. I'm sure there's been one or two. But it feels like most games where we go into it saying, oh, man, it's the Nuggets. Like, he's got to show up. Or, oh, man, it's the Celtics. It's the Bucks. whatever. I feel like in most of those games, even the Grizzlies game, he wasn't great on offense, but we both agree he played, made big plays, helped him win that game. It does feel like I'm big on clutch, you know, just like do it when it matters. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I do think he's been a little more clutch this year. It does, it does feel that way, even though they lost and it stings. It does feel that way. Um, Real quick, I want to shout out. So we have some people in the chat uh, off to the side. So. Uh, for if you're listening to this on, um, you know, the Odyssey app or whatever podcast app you use, uh, should be Apple, not Spotify. I know you're a Spotify guy, uh, Kyle, but um, we do these on YouTube live and you can chat. So we have Marlon in here. We have Adam in here. For some reason, Jose decided to update us on the Manny Machado extension. But <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I appreciate the Philly sports passion. Though. Yes, exactly. Uh, but Speaking of Philly sports, the the last thought I had um, before we wrap this up, because I'm sure we want to, you know, everyone wants to get on with their Sundays. Um, dude, Devontae Smith ringing the bell. Come on, man. Everybody knows he's a Celtics fan. Like everybody. He's only at that game because they're playing the Celtics. He, I know he's been other Sixers games. He is a Celtics fan. He he got Tatum's jersey after the game. I'm not, I, I am fine with play like. I don't care if Jalen Hurts is a is a Sixers fan. They're they're all from different places. We all love sports. You grow up liking the team you like. I'm, I don't expect just because you move to a team or get drafted by a team, you're all of a sudden going to say, I like the Sixers more than the Celtics. So I am fine with Devontae going to the game. I'm fine with him rooting for the Celtics. But the Sixers having him ring the bell, I thought was a major mistake. I mean, let's be real. It, it, he They literally had a Celtics fan ring the bell for a game against the Celtics. Yeah, you might as well have uh, Gucci Mane, who's tight with Jalen Brown, <laughs> ring the bell. It's insane. Like, it's it's insane. And again, no. he's allowed to like the team he likes, but the Sixers control who rings that bell. And to have a, a Celtics fan do it is it's absurd to me. Well, on that subject, nothing has ever shown how cool and how beloved Allen Iverson is than him being an open Dallas Cowboys fan from Virginia, where yeah. another <laughs> NFC East rival is from. And him getting absolutely no shit for it from Philadelphia over the years. Like that is the level. That's the the status that Allen Iverson has because of his playing. He's like an unabashed Cowboys fan and nobody gives a shit. Well, and again, you know, it's not, you were right. And Iverson is, you know, I think the best Philly athlete of all time. So there's levels to it. Devontae is not there yet, but Devontae is one of the best players in the city right now. 
and he's literally a Celtics fan. I, I just, I don't know. It felt like, it felt like a bad karma from the jump. When I saw he did it, I was like, what were like, what in the world are they thinking? You got to have non Celtics fans ring the bell for, <laughs> for when you're playing the Celtics. It was, well, the fans are convinced that anytime they have a cool bell ringer of any kind, that's a yeah. game that they lose. So that's a fun, uh, so maybe that's a good spin on it. Yeah. That, I should start tracking, um, that should be a stat that I keep because like be the, for two seasons, I kept track of how they perform when different rap music played. So that was my big uh, well, side project. Yeah. Maybe I should keep track of how cool the bell ringer is relative to their performance and uh, come sure. up with a formula based on that. For someone that tracks training camp stats, I, I have I am always down for the tracking of things. I was thinking, I don't know how how. Uh, preseason practices work i feel like you guys don't really get to watch them scrimmage at all but it would be funny if next year when we're doing pods for the preseason if i came and i tracked like joel in the scrimmage today it was 10 of 14 blah blah blah. i think that i think the people would enjoy it deep down yeah well maybe, maybe <laughs> you're, like, sure. no. you're like no 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 don't show up to practice and be tracking threes like not not uh don't, don't embarrass kyle at practice I mean, you're not going to embarrass me. You might embarrass yourself. No, but, I'm uh, used to that, Kyle. I mean, you've, seen, <laughs> uh, you've seen my yeah. Twitter. Well, I got nothing left on this game. So. Yeah, no, we're, we're good. So a frustrating loss, but the good news is there are other games. The Heat will be a good matchup back-to-back, so I'm sure that'll be a, a frustrating one as well. But all right, like we said at the top, everybody uh, that's been leaving reviews, the, the really nice email we got, we super, super appreciate it. Uh, it's awesome to do this on a Sunday and see people in the chat and all those. Like, you guys are why we get up and do this at 10 a.m. Because it's just really fun to start to build a community uh, around this pod. So thank you to everybody that's listened. Despite the frustrating loss, we will be back later in the week. Um, I think we were saying we might do it Thursday. Uh, you know, get a few days. I'm going to be in Indy for the Combine. But thanks again. And as always, you can check it out on the Odyssey app, 94WIP. Uh, as well and all your podcast apps. So, all right, Kyle, I will uh, I will talk to you later. Talk to you guys soon. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.